Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey, it's Scott Lips, and welcome back to yet another episode of Lip Service. My guest today is no other than Jacoby Saddix, the lead singer of the band Papa Roach. These guys have been together for about 28 years. They sold about 20 million records, which is incredible. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Jacoby is charismatic. He's knowledgeable. We get into everything from mental health to the new record, to his history, to the amazing story behind Last Resort. And I'm sure you guys have heard that song before. It's one of the songs that you know from them, like Scars. We're going to talk about his path and his journey where they're at today, their new record coming out soon, and all things Papa Roach. If you like the show, please do me a favor. Make sure you rate and review the show. It's very, very helpful to us. Five stars on iTunes would be great. I hope you guys are having a great month. And uh, coming up in just a moment, Jacoby Saddix from Papa Roach. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots' tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. And more, more importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for a great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out, at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. My guest today is no other than the lead singer, one of the greatest bands in the last generation, Jacoby Saddix. Welcome to the show, my brother. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm just, uh, I'm actually down here in San Luis Obispo. I got to rent it out of Airbnb to cut some vocals down here because I'm just avoiding coming to LA, you know, just because what's going on and we're just being creative and shit's good, man. I'm stoked. It's, uh, we're coming towards the tail end of making a new record. And so life's good, man. Amazing. Well, there's so much to talk about your path, your journey, almost 30 years in the business with Pop Roach, which is incredible, and yeah. over actually 2 billion streams. When you hear those numbers, it's got to be like, well, it's incredible. <laughs> 2 billion, right? Amazing. That's freaking wild, man. I mean, when you put those type of numbers up, I start to think, wow, like we really have made an impact in music. And, you know, we, we've always set out to have a career, you know, 
And that was a goal from the very beginning, but to really actually have a career, it's a whole nother thing. And so sometimes I had to like stop and pinch myself and just, you know, take a moment for gratitude. And there's definitely a lot of gratitude flowing lately. Definitely. Well, the band started in 1993 and it's such an interesting story, how you formed obviously the highs and lows. So I want to get into all that. Obviously, I want to touch base on the new record, which is great. You have the greatest hits record, which is coming out March 19th, I believe. Sir. So we'll get into that, too. But take me back to the very beginning, Jacoby, like when you guys started, how you formed. I mean, it's such an interesting story. You guys kind of met on the football field. I yeah. love the whole story. And actually, there's so many highs and lows with your story that I think the listeners will really, really appreciate everything you guys have been through. Yeah, man, uh, definitely. I've been, I've been through it all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, to take you guys back, tell a, tell a long story short, you know, uh, we started the band in 1993. I met David our drummer that the, the guy that was to become our drummer on the football field. I was on the offensive line. He was on the offensive line. And uh, he was this kid from down South Venice, California, moved up to NorCal and didn't have many friends when he first moved there. And I was one of the first people that was like, you know, on the school bus, you know, like, Hey dude, come sit next to me. And uh, so we just really clicked up and I found out he played drums. And at the time I played drums as well. And so we were like, dude, let's get together, put our drum sets together. <laughs> we'll have a big old giant drum set you know well it turns out he was a better drummer than i and uh i was like well all right cool like you rip the drums and i'm average so maybe i'll just get a bass so i went and bought a bass guitar and uh played that for about a month and then while i was at work one day somebody broke in my truck and stole my bass guitar and i was like fuck like what do i do <laughs> and i just remember this moment dave just looked at me he's all dude just be a singer dude it's free and uh, that's how I became a singer, like literally because somebody stole my bass and I was like, well, I can't afford to buy another instrument. So I'm just going to scream in the garage. And shortly thereafter, we linked up with uh, Jerry and then years, a couple, about a year later, we hooked up with Tobin and uh, Papa Roach was up and running. And we were just this high school band that was playing talent shows and backyard parties and keggers and teen centers and anywhere we could possibly play you know at this time green day was really blowing up at that time too and we knew their story we were like they came out the garage they were kids from high school you know we, we were seeing them you know take that step and it was like all right well fuck let's do that everybody thought we were crazy. even growing up you were listening to a lot of different music right were you surrounded by were your parents into music i know you were into the deftones and faith no more and a lot of you know social distortion but what was sort of the music that helped shape your you know, your view on the music that you eventually went to make when you I were mean, growing early, up. Early on, I was listening to like Poison. Right. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, was that was that the first record you ever bought? Poison, open up and say, ah, oh, that was it. Yeah, dude, that was the, or was it Look What the Cat Dragged In? I can't remember. I think that first record was Look What the Cat Dragged In. It was but... Look What the Cat Dragged In. Yeah. And, uh, but then after that, my stepdad was like, all right, Cove, like, I know you like rock, but I want to introduce you to real rock. And so he gave me Led Zeppelin too. And I was just Amazing. fucking blown away. And after that, I got into, you know, punk rock and hip hop. I was listening to Deftones, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Mr. Bungle, Faith No More, Wu-Tang Clan, Social Distortion. You know, and so I like the I like the rock, but I also like the rap. I love the Beastie Boys. You know what I mean? I love Nas. I love Jay-Z, uh, Tupac, you know, these cats, Dr. Dre, uh, Body Count, Ice-T. So I was listening to these a very broad range of music. Well, I love the fact that you're into Faith No More. I actually played in a band with Roddy, the keyboard player, not long ago. Really? Um, yeah, so because I play with Courtney Love. And so 
Roddy was part of our band not long ago. We actually did a, a festival and I played with Roddy and he's actually the one that wrote a lot of those songs. So oh, that's sick, dude. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool connection there. That's awesome. Yeah, Faith No More is one of my favorites of all time, man. I just, I, I love them. I saw them, uh, we did a couple festivals with them like two or three years ago and it was great to see those guys on stage again. Amazing. So early on, you guys are getting together. You're playing high schools. Even early on, you were slinging CDs outside the Roxy for five bucks. And I, I would love to know what happened between that point and, you know, walk me through that point until you got your deal with Warner's, which eventually became DreamWorks. Yeah, so uh, we just had that hustler spirit. You know, we were going to the Deftone show, selling CDs to their fans. When Corn would come through town or Lip Biscuit would come through town, we would roll with a boombox right on my shoulder. And I just, I, we'd troll the line. I'd be like, what the fuck, Papa Roach, five bucks. <laughs> what the fuck, Papa Roach, five bucks. And I just, I had that hustle, you know, and that was just, it was just the way we did it. And we were really in people's faces and we, we just believed that that was the way to get people's attention. And uh, then when we were going down to Hollywood, we were doing like free Monday nights at the Troubadour and uh, going to the Roxy and slanging records in front of the Roxy, you know, and just, that was a way for us to make some funds to, you know, get to the next city to buy a new guitar, to get a new set of strings, et cetera. And uh, at this time we started shopping our music to a bunch of record companies. You know, we were sending it to Roadrunner Records uh, Century Media, Nuclear Blast, you know, but then we were also sending them to the uh, major labels, Warner, uh, you know, Capital, Hollywood, Elektra, Epic. And uh, we got, we hit a lot of roadblocks along that way. You know, we, we got a lot of people telling us we weren't this enough or that enough, or you guys don't have an image or you guys, you, you know, it's just not there. And, and we are like, all right, cool. We're rocking these kids up North. You know, there's 400, 500 kids coming to our show. So we must be doing something right. And so we just kept sharpening our craft and sharpening our craft and sharpening our craft and playing more shows and, and doing that hustle. And eventually we landed ourselves with a demo deal with uh, Warner Brothers and this fellow by the name of Jeffrey Weiss had given us a deal. And uh, at that time we uh, enlisted Jay Baumgartner to produce our demo deal. NRG Studios, right? Yeah, NRG Studios. Yep. We rolled down there and we're like, oh my God, dude, we're this is amazing. You know, it's a real all, studio. <laughs> yeah. We just slugged it out in the trenches for, you know, at this point, like almost seven years as an independent band. Yeah. And uh, so we got in there and we cut uh, last resort, a song called broken home, a song called dead cell. Um, uh, another song, she loves me not. And then one more. And uh, in the process of this, um, our A&R had gotten fired. And so our demo deal was then just kind of like, well, all the artists that he was working with and those things that he was uh, fostering fell by the wayside. And at that point, so Warner passed on us. And then uh, at that point, this fellow by the name of Ron Handler from DreamWorks heard about it and was like, you know what? I'm going to go down to the studio and check out what these dudes are up to. And he came down to the studio and heard it and was just like, I'm in. Let's go. It's incredible because 20 million records later, people don't always hear about you know, the successes and the failures of bands, but yeah. for everyone that doesn't know, the development deal is not exactly a record deal, right? It's just that. It's like, we're going to go in there, we're going to make a demo, and the label has the option at that point to either pick you up or yeah. pass, right? Yeah. So it's incredible that that record, I think that record went on to sell like 5 million copies, which is amazing, yeah. right? It's, and so it, it keeps selling too. That yeah. album just keeps, it's like one of those classics that just, it's like an evergreen in a weird way even in like our streams on our record, it's, it's just, it still crushes. And for us to have that for a timeless 
piece of, piece of music in our arsenal. It's just such a blessing, man. It really is. And, you know, it's been challenging at moments, right? Because it's like, how do you outshine that first big hit? But in reality, I look at it, it's like, it just gives, having that massive hit in the beginning of our career has given us a shot to come back with every record and have an effort to keep creating music that we believe in, creating music that we believe will touch people's lives, creating music that, you know, ultimately fucking gives us purpose, you know, it really serves the purpose of my life. And uh, I'm just, I'm super grateful for it. But yeah, man, that one's a banger. (laughs) Did you ever run into the A&R guy from Warner's later on? And did you guys like end up hooking up at at any point? No, I've never spoken with him since since that. And I've always kind of wanted to like, I've, I've always wanted to just reach out to him and just see like, Hey man, thank you so much for, for the efforts you made, you know, to, to work with us, but I haven't made that man. It's probably something I should do. Yeah. It's incredible. I'm sure that he regretted what happened at that point because DreamWorks definitely benefited right with you guys yeah. selling that many albums. Yeah. So fast forward to like 2000 then Jacoby warp tour starts. You guys start playing on the, you know, I guess the small stages, right. For probably yeah. 300 people, 400 people. And then all of a sudden, you know, the single comes out, it explodes, and then yeah. you're headlining the Warp Tour, which is incredible. So kind of walk me through that process, too, because that's a pretty incredible story, too. Yeah, man. So we get we get enlisted on Warp Tour, and this was this was a dream of ours. The year prior, we went out as an independent band on it for, like, a string of, like, five shows because we were kind of one of the local acts that they would allow onto it. And uh, so when we got asked to do Warp Tour, we were floored and... We showed up on Warp Tour, and this was right when Last Resort was starting to pick up as a single. It was our first single. And then it got on TRL, and throughout Warp Tour, we went from that small stage to then it was just overran with people. And Kevin Lyman comes out there. He's like, oh, God, we got to do something about this. This is like, oh, we've never seen anything like this before because the stages were just the, – the, the barricades couldn't handle it. The barricades <laughs> were crushing. It was just madness, right? And so they like, got to move these guys to the main stage. And uh, it was intimidating in a sense because we were sharing the main stage with, you know, Green Day. We were yeah. sharing the main stage with, uh, you know, Flogging Molly and No Effects and Weezer. And this was like bands that we had look, looked up to our whole lives. And we're like, oh, God, now we're on this stage with these fucking legendary bands. And you know what was really cool about that is people treated us so good on that tour. People were just really good to us. And. You know, it was it was nice to be embraced in, in a setting because, you know, we're not a punk rock band. I know that yeah. we've got that punk rock hustler spirit, that DIY spirit that we had. Like I, I connect with that. I, I gravitate towards that. I'm a fan of punk, you know, but to be um, to be embraced by the, that fan base at that point in time was just like such a fucking honor. I was like, this is dope, man. It's incredible. What a, yeah, it was it was a great tour, man. And by the end of the tour, we we're getting headlining slots occasionally on it. And I was just like, Oh my God. Like I had to pinch myself at moments on that. Tour. <laughs> I was just like, no doubt came on like for like uh, five or six shows on that tour. And I was just like, I was, I'm, I'm a big, no doubt fan. And, and yeah, just incredible. What's amazing that you started on the small stage and by the end of it, you were headlining it with all those other bands, which is crazy. And it's funny. I just watched this great piece on vice about last okay. resort and the story behind it. And I loved it by the way. What a, what a great piece. And, and I know that story has been told so many times, but like, what an inspiring story. There's such a message of positivity behind the song. And yeah. I just loved if you can kind of walk me through again that, you know, that's a half an hour about that song. So there's a lot yeah. to dig into with it. 
but just the story about Mark and what happened and you guys are roommates and how the whole thing came about. Cause it is such a message of positivity. Yeah. I think, I think the listeners would love to know. Yeah. So, um, I moved out, moved out of my folks house when I was 17, I was going to high school, working a day job, kind of, you know, holding things together and doing it my way. And, uh, I, uh, I was having, I worked, I, I worked a day job and I met this dude and I was living with him in his apartment and all the while he was stealing the money, the rent money. So I got booted <laughs> and Mark was a friend of mine and he knew that I gotten booted from my house. And so he's like, Hey man, I got an extra room. You can come live with me. Mark is uh, 17 years old as well at this time. Um, we're living together. His father lives in a house across town with his new wife. And so it was just like his son and me living in this house. And all the while P Roach is writing music, we're playing shows, we're doing the thing. Well, you know, I, I was I, at a younger age, I got into dabbling in uh, psychedelics and drugs and smoking weed and drinking. And, you know, it's it's been something in my life that I've, I've struggled with. Um, I'm so well, you've been sober now. Yeah, I was going to say, what, eight years or so? Well, you know, I'll, t- I'll be honest with you, man. Um, I've been off the booze almost nine years, but uh, recently during the pandemic, I fell off. I was smoking weed and getting high. And, you know, I, I uh, slipped up, you know, so I gave yeah. up my time, you know, but it's I didn't pick up the bottle. You yeah. know, I'm yeah. just uh, I got I got away from my spiritual path and my and that and that life. And so it's good to be back into that space. And by the way, it's a tough time and everyone's going through mental health issues right now. So it's understandable when people slip up. I mean, this is probably the hardest time this world will ever see. And I hope that it never sees it again. So I want to talk about the mental health aspect of the song, too. But finish what you were saying about it. Yeah. So um, I was living with Mark and we started dabbling in psychedelics and we, we did an acid trip and a mushroom trip. And he just kind of snapped. Mm. and went into this downward deep dark spiral and i was like i didn't know what to do like my best friends losing losing it you know and uh he he attempted uh to take his life and was then um institutionalized and that was just like a traumatic experience for me you know having to like have this conversation with his father like hey i'm you know, I'm the one that brought the drugs in the house. I was the one that brought this, this, uh, this around your son. And, uh, I, I, I carried a lot of guilt about that for a lot of years. Um, but you know, I was able to kind of make amends with Mark and, and really both of us, we had an interesting perspective on the, the take of the song, but it was me watching my friend just struggle through this time in his life. And, and, uh, when I got into writing more and more songs this was something that i finally wanted to write about and i wrote i wrote about it in first person right and it wasn't so it would uh like i was trying to carry this cross for him it was just like that's how i like to write i like to write in first person and uh that song just it, it spoke to people and really it's like it's not it's not about the act of uh attempting suicide it's about the reaction to it and how do we respond to it and it's about connection. It's about um, being open and brutally honest about yourself and not being afraid to, to speak where you're at, talk about what's really going on. And that conversation has uh, since then become a dialogue amongst a lot of young fans of ours and people that have, I've met millions, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of fans 
met him face to face or they've written me letters that say that song saved my life. And if I could just, you know, I look back on like the, the purpose of, I'm always looking at my life going, what's my purpose? What's my purpose, God? And like, I'm living it. I'm absolutely living my purpose. And when mm. I, and we created a piece of music that added to somebody's healing and, and uh, strength, I'm like, fucking hey, man, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And so we, uh, years later, with this vice piece, um, it was suggested to me. They were like, hey, man, can we get a hold of Mark? And I was very hesitant. I was like, oh, man, I just don't feel like I want to, like, bring him into this, you know. And I but you know. hadn't seen him in a while? Uh, I, I've seen him over the years a, a few times. Okay. And, uh, and uh, you know, because he just kind of went in a different path of life. Sure. And became very religious. And, and I was like, oh, I'm not sure about religion. You know, right. well, now I'm on a spiritual path myself. It's kind of yeah. crazy how it, how it all Comes works. full circle. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But uh, it was it was really healing to sit down and have a, a, a really open, honest dialogue with Mark about that moment in our lives. And and we both kind of carried some shame and, and guilt from that stuff that we were able to just kind of let it all go and just have and just be like, all right, cool. We're grown men now. But the beauty of this thing is that it's been a beacon of light to a lot of people. Definitely. And I, I remember when you actually, you know, he said that you called him to tell him that you're writing this song. And he said, you know, you don't need to call me about this. It's your music. So whatever your yeah. message is, that's OK. But I, it was a really, really interesting uh, dialogue. And just to find the light in the darkness with the song, I'm sure there's been, as you mentioned, like thousands upon thousands of people that have told you stories about how it's helped them. So any yeah. stories that really stand out in your head about someone that came up to you and told you how this song changed their life? Well, I can tell you uh, about my own self. Yeah. Um, you know, music is always something that's like, it's a healer and it speaks to you deeply, right? And so I go out on tour for years and I'm singing this song and I'm kind of like, sometimes you go up there and you're just going through the motions, right? Yeah. And uh, it, was, uh, it wasn't until years later that this song was about me, right? And, and I went through, probably at about 10 years ago, I went through one of the darkest points of my life, my most lowest rock bottom. And all of a sudden, this, this song that I wrote about contemplating suicide was somewhere, that was where I was. You know, I'm so mm -hmm. far removed from that now, you know, almost 10 years removed from that. Um, but I went through a really, really dark time and, and, and the music was, was the thing that gave me any sense of peace. Um, not necessarily was it the song last resort, but it was like, I was looking at it like going, is my life a fucking parody now? Is, is it just going to become a joke? Mm. You know, I wrote this song about this and that's how you're going to go out. No way, man. I couldn't make that, that, that's that permanent decision to a temporary problem, you know? Yeah. But it was, it was, it made, it really woke me up. And I, and at that moment I understood what people were talking about when they said, yo, your music saved my life. It's because I was in the midst of writing a record and I was going through this, just, um, I was just broken. And the music was when, when I was in the studio and I was writing out what I was going through, it was like, that was the only moment that I felt like oh, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, it was, it was really powerful to me for me to have that experience to understand when people come to me and say, Hey man, this music really like lifted me up. And so it was a, it was a you know, it was a dark moment, but I look back on it. Like, you know, we, we all have to go through these like 
dark times to learn things about ourselves. And uh, yeah, man, it was a, definitely a, a big learning experience for me. Yeah, no question. I was going to say, because, you know, your music does have such a message of positivity, Jacoby. Is yeah. it hard to stay positive? Everyone's going through COVID and what's going on in life now. People are dying all around us. It's a really sad time. And, and it is something that people struggle with mental health a lot right now. Yeah. Uh, even myself, I'm an incredibly positive person, but I don't think there's a morning I don't wake up where I have anxiety. Right. And, oh, yeah. and you know, and I love I miss playing music. I haven't played a show as you, I'm sure now, and whatever it is, a year, year and a half. And yeah. it's hard, you know. And so how do you remain positive in a time like this that we're all going through? Well, I can identify with you in the fact that I wake up with what I call uh, anxiety or fear of impending doom. Yeah. And it's like my routine. I'll just give you a little look at my, what my routine and how I combat that. It's a uh, it's prayer. Um, I do some reading, some type of inspirational reading. Um, and then I write like two to three pages. I'll just put my pen to the paper and just write just write whatever's going on in my head. I'll write it and then I'll meditate for 10 minutes. And that's like my armor. You know, I get up and I'm like, okay, cool. Now I can like, it just kind of kills a bit of the noise. Right. And it's yeah. like, and then I'm like, okay, cool. Now I'm fully human. Let's go. Let's go have the human experience now. <laughs> and uh, for me, it's, it's, I got to watch like what I put into my, my mind. I have to watch the content that I allow into, into my, my mind and my soul. Mm -hmm. I have to uh, watch what I put into my body. Um, and I also have to work on balance right i look at my life and it's like spirit body and mind how do i take care of those things and uh i'm working on my spiritual health i'm working on my physical health you know I'm, i run running is a big thing for me to Definitely. to spark the serotonin and the dopamine in my brain you know yeah. every time i go out and do that thing that i don't want to do which is exercise i come back and i'm like oh. I feel, that's why i was kind of like sweating in the beginning of the interview <laughs> i just got done with a run and i'm that's like cool. i always just feel better man i always feel yeah. like all right, man, that was the result I was going for. I didn't want to do it, but I always get it, you know, and it's like, and so those kind of things really help. And also like taking sugar, sugars are, I'm, my body reacts terribly to sugar mm. and uh, it really fucks with my, my brain. It inflames my brain. Yeah. And uh, it's like a precursor to my depression in a sense. Huh. So uh, I found out um, so hol some holistic and spiritual elements that help me um, work on those things. And, you know, I got outside issues. And so I go talk to other people about that shit. Right. And, you know, it's, uh, I'm just, you know, it's, it's just a, I've been told, right. Like we're not responsible for this, like mess that we receive sometimes mm. or this tangled up ball of yarn that we got, you know, the things that happen to us when we're young or whatever, or the things that happen to us in this life. Like we're not, we don't, that's not our, sometimes not our fault. But what we are responsible for is unweaving and untangling all that shit, you know, yeah. so having that realization in myself, like has really helped me have a better perspective on ah, the madness in my head. And it's like, OK, cool, bro. Like, pause. Now you get to work through that shit. Yeah, I was going to ask you because you guys are about to embark on a tour last year with Five Finger Death Punch and mm -hmm. and you guys are playing like massive uh, venues. So how are you adjusting now? Right. It's like you're at home, you got the family, obviously you're recording new music, but how are you staying busy besides running and doing everything else you're doing? Are you guys like recording remotely? Are you in a room together writing music? What's the process like now? Yeah. So, I mean, for us, it was like when COVID first hit, it was just like, I'm just chilling at my house. That was it. And I yeah. was like, all right, I'm chilling at my house long enough. I'm about to lose my shit. Um, started doing a bunch of zoom, uh, 
like interview type things like this, started yeah. doing that and getting kind of back into the flow of just putting my presence out there and, uh, you know, exercising, I've been purging at my house, you know what I'm saying? Going through all these boxes I've had that I've pack ratted over the years and just clearing shit out, letting shit go. <laughs> um, creating music has been a really big part of that. Um, I'm also a, a husband and a father. So it's yeah. like, I, I got three boys, me and my wife, we have three kids. And so those kids keep us on our toes straight up. I got a kid in college. I got a son in high school and then I got a first grader, you know, and so we're just, our, our hands are full with that. So yeah. there's a lot of things going on. I really feel for the people that are, that are in their flats or their apartments or their homes. And it's just them alone. Yeah. It's hard. It's very, very hard. Oh, man, my, yeah. my heart goes out to those folks and yeah. it's a, uh, it's, it's, but I will tell you that it's been tough regardless. I've seen my kids struggling through this shit. You know, I watch my, my boys, they're just like not fully capable to live their purpose. You know, my yeah. son, he's an athlete, right? And he's not being able to play sports and flex his leadership skills out there because he's a leader. Yeah. And uh, he, uh, he's kind of struggling, but now they're finally getting back into lacrosse and doing that like just like two weeks ago. So I see this like light come on again in my son. That's and awesome. I'm like, oh, it's good to see, man. Because when I create, when I get here in the music and in the studio and creating music, it's like that light shoots back on. It's like, all right, here I am living my purpose. And, uh, you know, I had a little time to fall off the wagon and lose my shit for a minute. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, but it, it took its toll. But it was like, luckily, I caught myself before shit really was starting to spin out of control. And I picked up the drink, you know. And Yeah. And uh, so really just working on, on my sobriety too. really like treating, treating my life. Like I can take this opportunity, this beat in time and embrace it and work on the things that I've been avoiding working. Definitely. I love that. One of your sons is like your creative director for the videos, right? He's yeah, like, dude. Hey dad, this is what I think you should do for this video. Right. Yeah, man. He's, he's, he's called it on a couple videos, man. Yeah. He's, he's a really creative kid. He's my, that's my boy Jagger. He's my second born. He's 16. He plays drums. He raps. He's a, he fancies himself a rapper and he's actually like legit, like a dope rapper. That's awesome. <laughs> oh man. He's like, wait, I think I want to like jump into the rap game, dad. I'm like. <laughs> now, would you encourage uh, him to do that? Or would you kind of steer him away from that? Knowing it, what you've been through in your life. You know what it is? He's so much like me that I've had to learn the hard way in a lot of realms of my life. And I th I've seen him in that space himself. We're so similar. And so it, part of me goes, oh, oh. but then part of me goes, Hey man, if that's your purpose and that's, and that's your, that's your passion. Like who am I to tell you? No, you yeah. know, like you're going to do you. I just want to see you like on fire. I want to see you with that light shining out of you. And, uh, so we'll see, you know, and I definitely I told him I was like, because I don't want to be like the silver spoon kind of dad where I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to hook you up with all the dope producers and I'm going to get you the guy. And I'm going right. to, it's like, if you're going to do it, you got to go get it yourself. Yeah. But I you just, think he's talented and this is something he could do regardless. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Well, I want to talk about uh, your present day and where we're at, you know, the 2000s are, you definitely paved the way musically for so many other bands. And rock and roll is in such a strange state right now, Jacoby, obviously. I feel like, you know, is there hope for rock and roll anymore? I mean, it's where I come from. Obviously, clearly, it's where you come from. What do you think about the current state of music, right? You know, all the bands that are happening. Like, is there hope for rock and roll anymore with where I, we're going? I feel like there's a, there is, man. Ultimately, really and truly, I believe there is hope because 
we're going out on tour and our, our ticket sales and concert ticket sales and our streams just keep going up. Yeah. And I'm going, all right. And there's young bands, more and more young bands are putting that guitar in their band. And, you know, to some people that what rock and roll is now looks a lot different than what rock and roll was back in 1980, 1990, 2000. And it's this ever evolving beast. And I, and I, and I can't necessarily say that, you know, will the classic sound of rock and roll be the thing that leads the way? I think fans are ready for how rock and roll will progress. Mm. And, and it's a, it's an interesting place to be in, but then there's also like, there's this dude named Des rocks. That's out right now. Yeah, sure. He plays this like kind of like rockabilly punk, just it's, it's like future blues. Yeah. But rockabilly ish. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just got this rock and roll spirit on him and he rips a guitar like Prince rips a guitar. Amazing. And it's like, I saw him do a show and I was just like, Oh shit, this dude might be the future of rock and roll right here. And so I feel like, and there's another dude named Aaron Jones. That yeah. Aaron Jones is great. Uh, yeah. He actually worked with a guy that I played drums with Marty Fredrickson. I think Marty oh, just worked with Marty him. Fredrickson yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. Marty's great. He's one of the yeah, best. Dude, that's what's yeah. up, man. But I, I really feel that there's, you know, and, and rock and, and metal are really kind of like they're blurring the lines. And yeah. really, I feel like even in, in what we're doing currently, it's like we're blurring a lot of lines and where we're going with our music as well. Cause we've always incorporated hip hop, but now we're incorporating some more like uh, electronic, uh, electronica into our sound. And all these different things have just influenced us over the years. And I just feel like we're just this melting pot of music at this point. Yeah. And Spotify, that, that type of space of streaming has really opened up people's minds to a lot of really unique and different collaborations. And I think rock is being presented by the way of Post Malone, Machine Gun Kelly. It's like this sort of hybrid, right? It's not yeah. pure rock and roll like when you guys yeah. are doing it or Motley or any of the bands, right? It's they're getting introduced to it and kids are getting introduced to rock now by way of like hip hop or pop yeah. or because pure rock and roll, if you think about the bands that are out there right now, there's not that many, right? I mean, yeah. there's Greta Bon Fleet, there's Pele Royale. There's a handful, but there, there's not many. So Pele is great, man. Yeah, there's good buddies of mine too. Hey, but guess what? Who, 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 who's headlining the shows when you go to the big festivals? Yeah, who's it's always the iconic bands for you know sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, bands that are playing the fucking guitars. It ain't, it ain't the new shit that's headlining the rock festival. And when yeah, you yeah. Rock on the Rangers, Sonic Temple. There's sixty thousand people there going off. So. Yeah. I, from my perspective, I, I'm hopeful. That's cool. Well, I also want to talk about the new record. And I definitely, you know, it's it's coming out very, very soon. You collaborated with a bunch. of So this is like a greatest hits package, right? And so this is the last 10 years. Yes. So kind of walk me through the new record and, and what it means to you. Obviously, I know you create, you uh, you collaborated with, with Skylar Gray, who's also yeah. uh, a friend of the show, which is great. We love Skylar. And I know that M is someone that you want to collaborate with. So um, we should talk about that too. Future collaboration, this album. I know you mentioned yeah. Run the Jewels, which would be a great collaboration. I think they're coming on the show soon. So I'll oh, put it cool. out there in the Ethernet just to see, uh, you know, if we can make that happen one day. So. What's up, dude? Yeah, we love Killer Mike, man. We love Run the Jewels. They're dope. Yeah. Yeah, we're standing at a, at, at a release uh, March 19th of our Greatest Hits Volume 2. And again, I got to fucking pinch myself. You know, it's like, huh? Volume 2? You know, we've had we've had a we've had a lot of fucking top ten singles and top five singles over the twenty years, and we want to take this opportunity and button up the last ten years. You know, from twenty ten to twenty twenty, um, our singles that we that we put out, and 
this last 10 years has really been incredible. You know, it's, it's been a slow build again for us, but it's been something that's just so gratifying and to be able to celebrate it with this unique collection of songs that we have, that's, it's diverse. There's, you know, there's straight up rock and roll on this record. Um, there's some kind of pop alternative stuff with that song Periscope that we did with yeah. uh, Skylar Gray. That's yeah. another one that I feel is just such, it's probably one of my favorite songs I've ever written, you know, been part of writing. She's um, great. Yeah. And she's such a great singer and such a great personality and just, she brings the edge, man. She's fucking, she's dope. Top yeah, I love her. I love her. Yeah. And I guess we should talk about the ending, right? The video. So it's already yeah. at 2 million video views, which is incredible. And 8 right. million streams. So that's pretty amazing because it was just that's released dope. in November. Thanks for letting <laughs> me know, man. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, a, it's moving too. It's, it's moving up the rock chart right now. I know it just cracked into the top five. And so for us to still be able to have these songs that climb up into the top five, you know, occasionally into that number one spot, it's a, uh, it's fucking, I just, I keep getting blown away, but then I look at it too. And I'm like, we work our ass off. We're yeah. continually uh, critiquing ourselves, trying to sharpen our craft, working and writing new songs that we feel will evolve, you know, push rock forward into the future. Um, and it's just always a, a place of how can we make this better? How can we do better? where can we take it that's more interesting and, and exciting for us? And I think that that like drive, you know, sometimes it's, and, and I, and I think part of it too is my relationship with my bass player, Tobin, mm. He's very outside the rock and roll box. Like if yeah. there's anybody who's totally not rock and roll in our band, it's our bass player, Tobin. And he's, he really pushes us to, to, uh, to experiment and dive down a bunch of different paths. Cause when I go through his hard drive of all the music he writes, it's like, He's prolific, dude. This dude writes everything from freaking reggae to electronica to freaking punk to country sound and music. I'm just like, how did, where, where's all this coming from? You know? And so it's cool because then I can go in and like just cherry pick all these pieces. And uh, I think that's a big part of why our band is so kind of eclectic sounding sometimes on our album. Um, but we looked up to bands like Queen and Faith No More that always had these records that were just very all over the place in a sense. And, the, you know, the vocal was the thread that kind of brought it all together. Um, but yeah, man, to, to celebrate 20 years with this, uh, with this second volume of greatest hits is just, it's so rad. I'm like, it, and, and to every ending, right. It's just another beginning for us. Cause we just signed another record deal and uh, we, we signed a record deal with Warner ADA and so on and, and we're trying something new in a new in a new space, yeah. and it's like you know, it's like riding on the front of a hot rod, you know, hanging off the front of the hot rod, not strapped on, just like oh shit, it might go bad. But I like a little bit that risk, you know what I mean? I was gonna say even Tobin actually wrote uh, Last Resort on piano, so yeah. obviously like his skills are way beyond just bass playing, right? So I guess when you guys even heard that song, you heard that riff for us, you probably weren't thinking, hey, this can be like a rocker. Because yeah. it almost sounds classical in a sense, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, man. When I heard that, I was like, it almost reminded me of something like like Fuji's would do at that yeah. time. I was yeah. like, oh, this sounds good. And then when we put put that riff on guitar, it's like all of a sudden it's fucking. Yeah, it's amazing. It's funny. So I want to throw out some songs here and some albums and just kind of see what they mean to you. We've, we've actually touched base on a few of them, but it's always interesting to me to talk about people's roots and where they come from. So we talked about the Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar. What does that record mean to you? Uh, 
Black, one of my all-time favorites, man. Just so inspiring. Such a such a rad record. You know, John Fushante really coming into his own. I feel like on that record, he just it, and, and it, they made this shift to like this like kind of the the, te- the the tempos of their music were a little bit slower and a little bit groovier. Yeah, and uh, I just. Oh, that record to me, man, just it, it, it knocks my socks off. Even when I listen to it now, it's just one of those albums I can put on it when I'm running or whatever. And it just still gets me off. Well, also, he's back, uh, you know, he's back in the band and they're actually almost done recording their new record. So, which no, is great. So, uh, I'm super old friends mine. Yeah. Also, just one thing about that record as well. The documentary that they did, Funky yeah. Monks, um, we watched that and I, we always had this dream after we watched that to like, we want to, you know, I want to record a record in a in the Houdini mansion. Yeah. And uh, it came around years later and we were like, we called up management. We're like, we want to make a record in the Houdini mansion. And we had this time frame. They're like, well, your friends in Slipknot are there right now. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> so then we, uh, we went and rented this place called the Paramore in cool. Silver Lake. And we, we hold up and we're like, all right, this is our version of Funky Monks. So it was cool. What about uh, Too Fast for Love, the crew? Oh, come on now, dude. That was when like, I was turning up the music in my bedroom and pissing off my parents. Right. I was like, I felt like a bad boy when I was listening to that band. It was like, my mom could tolerate poison, but when I put on fucking Molly Crew, my mom was just like, I think my son worships the band. <laughs> <laughs> what what an amazing record. Years later, becoming friends with Nikki Six and, yeah. and, and Tommy and just, you know, touring with those guys. And, you know, I ended up singing on a track, Saints of Los Angeles. Yeah, great song. Just just getting to know those guys has been really cool over the years. And kind of, you know, another one of those pinch myself moments. Like, oh, fuck, I'm out here with Motley Crue. Hold on. I'm in Tommy's dressing room for the after party. (laughs) It's funny (laughs) because growing up, too, that was was like one of my favorite albums growing up. And then years later, Nikki actually met his wife, Courtney, through me. And they got married. Yeah, I went to the wedding and everything. So that's cool. Pretty crazy story, but uh, yeah, I've been friends with those guys for years too. But yeah. yeah, and I guess we couldn't we couldn't leave this conversation without talking about the Deftones and what it means, you know, what the band meant to you. Yeah, man, Deftones was one of those bands I was going to watch at the at uh, Berkeley Square or Cattle Club in Sacramento, and I was the kid in the mosh pit, sweating my guts out. I just remember being in the pit and just covered in sweat, head to toe, and leaving that show. I had that realization. I want to be in a band. I think that I think I'll, we need to start a band. Like that was one of those moments where I was just like, let's go. Let's, let's really do this. That's and awesome. so one of my favorites early on, you know, we were like, we showed up at their video shoot. They were like, yo, calling all fans. We need the fans at the video shoot. I'm like, Oh, called up Dave. I'm like, yo, dude, we got to go to the Deftones video shoot. <laughs> and uh, it was like this song called bored. And uh, so I made my video debut back in 97 or 98 in Deftones Board. Amazing. Amazing. Well, we can't forget that the record's coming out March 19th, The Better Noise Years, Volume 2, which is amazing. And just, I guess, last but not least, Jacoby, new music, right? This is the greatest hits package. So have you guys been writing in quarantine? Has there been, I I know we talked about these Zoom sessions, but are you getting together in person and writing yet? Yeah, so we, uh, back in August, we went and rented this big old house down in Temecula, California, and everybody got tested everybody quarantined before we went we took all the precautions uh we we hired somebody to come in and cook food you know instead of like ordering out we were just like super locked down nobody in nobody out we're gonna hole up in this place and uh we stayed there for a month 
and it was just like rock and roll band camp. It was just so fun, man. And amazing. created some amazing music and really just had some great experiences as brothers out there in those hills and really bonded closer again. You know, we're talking 20 plus years of being a band. Yeah. There can be some like resentments and some, some, some nitpicking in when you're in a band and, and we really were able to work through some of those things out in those hills together. And that was a really powerful thing for us to experience together again, because, you know, sometimes it's like your relationships get worn and tattered. And, and this record was really about like breaking down those walls and like really coming back together and, and, and letting those little things that you resent each other for, let them go, you yeah. know, and really, really and truly that, that, that was my experience. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I let a lot of things go. And so I was probably the one that was carrying around all the bullshit, right. you know, and, uh, but it was just such a great experience and we came up with a shit ton of music and then we came home and reflected upon it. And now we've bitch just been doing like piecemeal, like we'll quarantine and then we'll meet up at an Airbnb somewhere. Cause I'm not going, I'm not going down to LA right now. I just, I'm like, yeah. I just don't want to be part of what's going on, you know? Sure. Oh, you said you're doing the vocals right now too, right? So you're working on the new record. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. we're working on the new record right now. Like after this interview, I'm about to shower up and then start cutting vocals. Amazing. And so we've just been like, we're about three quarters, all, a little over three quarters of the way finished with the record. And uh, we're looking at dropping, you know, music later this year. I got a bunch of remixes and guest uh, features that I've done as well. Awesome. Throughout the pandemic that are coming. So there's new things that we're going to be dropping all year. And uh, which will wind up into early 2022 with a brand new record. And I'm telling you, man, this fucking music, it's so inspired. It's so, it's got such a great energy. Um, and I just did, we just did a collab yesterday with our homie, Jason Alon from Fever 333. Sure. Yeah. And it's just, band. oh, it's fire, dude. It's like, Amazing. it's just awesome. Like, it's awesome. Like punk rock beastie boys, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Look out. Do you guys have dates yet on the books for 2022 or the end of this year or not yet? You're holding uh, off on that. We haven't put any dates on sale just because we spoke with our agents and we just decided to err on the side of caution and allow things to kind of get up and moving. Cause I don't want to put a tour on sale and then play the game of we'll take the fans money. And then, then we got to do some kind of in, wait for an insurance claim to then give them yeah. their money back. And it's like, it's just this whole dance that I'm like, I'll wait till shit's good to go. And then we'll go. And uh, you know, so I just, I, my best, the best thing I've done throughout the pandemic, every time my kids come ask me for something to go buy something, I'm like, can't do it, dude. We're going to the pandemic. <laughs> How long is this going to last? <laughs> Everyone's saving a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. And, and uh, it's really been a great experience for my family, too, to just learn how to fucking not get all the time. Yeah, yeah. Did you see what uh, the Flaming Lips did in terms of playing and the, the, actually having the audience in the bubbles? What? They did a concert. I think it was about a month ago where they had, I think they had like two people to a bubble each and they did a concert where everyone was in these giant plastic bubbles. And that's so I genius. Mean, it doesn't sound that realistic for every concert, but I guess yeah. like, you know, but, it's because so, he goes out in the bubble on the crowd. So it yeah. kind of that, that totally works, man. Yeah. Interesting. I'd lose my shit if I was in a bubble at a concert. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're in the audience, it's claustrophobic, I would imagine. But so we'll definitely have to have you back on the show, my man, when the, when the new record's out. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. I'd love to, man. And yeah. I, I uh, thanks for, uh, you know, first off, thanks for having me, dude. Of course. I appreciate it, man. And I was looking at your Instagram and you're out there killing it, dude. <laughs> thanks, brother. Well, we have, a, brother. we have a lot of mutual friends. So between Palo Royale, 
you know, yeah. Nikki's six. I don't know. There's a million people we have in common. So I hope to hang with you in person. Maybe the next yeah. time we'll be in person for the new album. I'll, I'll hit you on the gram, on the DMs. Please, please do. Okay, awesome, cool, brother. Man. I appreciate you coming by, Jacoby. I'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you okay. very much, brother. You too. See you soon. Bye-bye. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. So there it is, folks. What a great guy. That was fun. I love getting into uh, all the old music with these guys, the Motley Crues of the world and the Fake No Mores and the Chili Peppers and all the stuff that I grew up on that these guys grew up on too and the bands that connect us all, the interconnectivity between them and me and what makes it all tick. So I appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, Jacoby Saddix, make sure you check out their new album. It is, well, actually the video, the ending. Uh, it's already at 8 million streams, which is crazy. And um, yeah, the record comes out, I believe, March 19th. So very excited for these guys. I appreciate you tuning in as always. And we'll see you soon. I believe next week, we have a great interview with Mr. Tommy Hilfiger coming up. And I think you guys will really, really enjoy that and speak to you guys soon. Hey, how'd it do, y'all? I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy you can find the ballad of uncle drank on sirius xm pandora stitcher or wherever you get your podcast